Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, several names are left out as the Conservative Party confirms the candidates in its leadership race. There are questions about how transparent are they, is the Conservative Party being about the reasons that they didn't make it in, because some of them are insisting that uh, that they they did. Doug Ford is accused of campaigning with Justin Trudeau. I suggest that the Prime Minister is governing, but Doug Ford is campaigning. Frankly, Doug Ford's been campaigning for well over a year now, instead of doing the heavy lifting that Ontarians have required him to do. And how much will the government disclose in the inquiry into the Emergencies Act? It is extremely important that we have full transparency on the use of this unprecedented piece of legislation. It's Tuesday, May 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. Let's start with the news around the Conservative leadership race. The final field was announced yesterday. The party announced the list of candidates who will appear on the ballot when party members vote for a new leader in September. And uh, all the front runners are there, of course, all the familiar names. Um, but I think there were some surprised people over the fact that it will be six candidates on the final ballot because there had been talk of there being eight or nine or possibly 10. We remember, of course, uh, two leadership races ago where I think there were 13 or something like that on the ballot. The, that was the race that Andrew Shear won. Um, so we now know that it's Pierre Poiliev, Leslin Lewis, Jean Charest, Roman Baber, Patrick Brown, and Scott Aitchison, but it's not some other people uh, who were on the ballot, and some people aren't happy about that. That's right. They, well, um, I, I guess there are questions about how transparent are the, is the Conservative Party being about the reasons that they didn't make it in, because some of them are insisting that uh, that they, they did. Yeah. The, the three are... Um, this is probably the only time we're ever going to mention these names on this show. Um, but uh, Joel Etienne, um, he's a lawyer from Toronto. Uh, Joseph Burgo, a business owner from Saskatchewan. And uh, Grant Abraham, a consultant from BC. And in various ways, they flirted with con- controversy, whether that's tomboy protesting or social conservatism. And uh, I see that... that um, the Campaign Life Coalition, which has been very active in conservative leadership races in the past couple of times, uh, is very annoyed that uh, Mr. Burgo is not on there, and they are making accusations that the party is is keeping out social conservatives or people with their point of view, which is technically not true because Leslie Lewis is also of that bent. So... Um, I'm not sure how long this controversy will last. I think we are seeing that the race is now down to six. And it does feel like it's turning a corner now into a different thing. Some of the candidates were together in uh, the GTA on the weekend uh, in Burlington, having their first face-to-face encounter. This weekend, it won't be all of them. I'm told that Patrick Brown's not there. But this weekend at the... uh, it's the former Manning Center. Right. Now it's the uh, the Strong and Canada Strong and Free Conference yeah. in Ottawa on the weekend. Uh, that we're we're going to see a debate there Thursday night with some of the candidates too. Hmm. That's an important conference. I I when the Conservatives were in power in Ottawa, I always liked to go to that one because 
it was where conservatives, you, you got the trends. And I remember in 2018 going there and um, a man named Doug Ford strolled in when he, he hadn't even declared his, uh, his leadership yet. He, he made a mark there, yes, for sure. Yeah, and and it's been it's been a place where other people have kind of launched their careers or the next level of their careers in the past, no question. Um, so so what do you make of the field and and the dynamics around it now that we know who's in and who's not? Um, and and after this weekend, of course, we move into uh, a period where there will be a couple of debates later this month. There will be an English language and a French language debate. So. Uh, we're we're going to very quickly be seeing the leaders challenging each other. They've been doing a lot of that through social media and through videos that they've released and, and news releases, but they'll actually be challenging each other on the same stage. Yeah, the tone has been very interesting, as you point out. It's it, Normally, candidates sort of drop the gloves and start attacking each other in the last weeks of a campaign, not the first one. So you wonder how long this is, uh, this is going to to uh, carry on? Are they going to be more civil in public? There's also We've also got to determine what is going on in front of the scenes and behind the scenes and how much they have to do with each other. From all accounts, Pierre Polyev is the front runner. I believe yesterday Patrick Brown even called Pierre Polyev the front runner in a, in a tweet, accusing him, by the way, of, of engineering the exclusion of candidates and calling him a gatekeeper, which was mm. funny if you've been following. Um, but um, I think we're going to see what the tone is going to be like. And the, the important thing is they have only about four or five weeks now to gather up memberships. That's the crucial thing. So is Pierre Polyev attracting memberships as well as crowds? Does that make him the front runner? Is there, is there a correlation between those things? Or are the other candidates quiet because they've been doing selling of memberships, which is crucial? So yeah. I think we're, we're in a different phase of this now. We're moving into the, the more in the public, more sparring with each other in real life. But the crucial question is how many memberships are they selling and where is that taking place? In the crowded rooms with Pierre Polyev or in the quiet phone calls being conducted by the others? Yeah, great question. All right. Uh, let's turn for a moment to an event that happened yesterday. Um, there was um, an event uh, where Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford, the Premier of Ontario, shared the podium and they made an announcement about investing more than a billion dollars in electric vehicle manufacturing in Brampton and Windsor, Ontario. And uh, I actually saw on Sunday, I saw the announcement that they would be making this joint appearance on Monday. And I remember, you know, it sort of crossed my mind. This is kind of interesting because in less than a month, there will be an election in Ontario and Doug Ford is running for re-election. And it struck me as interesting that, that Justin Trudeau would share the stage with him and make a big announcement together with an election looming. We're not officially into the election period in Ontario yet. That's coming in a few days, but um, it's almost there. And I remember wondering how the Ontario Liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, would be reacting <laughs> to this news that a person who's the Prime Minister of Canada and technically from the same party as he uh, would be spending time with his political opponent, the current Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, and in fact, 
Del Duca himself said this was kind of like a campaign stop for Doug Ford. He didn't really criticize the prime minister, although I'd love to know what he would be saying about him, join, you know, kind <laughs> of behind closed doors with his advisors. But uh, it was an interesting dynamic to see the two of them together. And, and I guess what it points to is that when you're in power, your your number one job is to stay in power. And one of the ways to do that is to show that you can work with other people. And that's what they both were doing, I presume. <clears throat> and that's what they were both saying yesterday, too. Yeah. Doug Ford said, Ontarians want people to work together. I work really well with these guys. I'm sure Stephen Del Duca wasn't altogether happy about how much the two were saying they worked well together. Now, this is a, there, there's a name for this rule, and it's just escaped me right now, but um, there is, there is a, an old rule in, in this federation that whatever power is in power in, whatever party is in power yeah. in Ottawa, the opposite one is in power. And, and it's almost like Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau decide that worked for them. And, sure. Uh, it's, it is kind of funny when you think about the way they spoke about each other in their various elections pre-pandemic, where I, you know, they, they said, you know, the world was going to go to hell in a handbasket if either of them got into power. Um, about, about the other one, I remember... Doug Ford saying that he was he was campaigning to be Premier of Ontario to defeat Justin Trudeau. Yeah. And now here they are having this lovely relationship uh, where they all speak kindly to each other. And I, I'm sure Stephen Del Duca is saying, wait a minute, have you decided it's better to gamble with uh, with having a Ford in power in, in Ontario than than with me? I don't think Justin Trudeau is going to be doing any campaign events with Stephen Del Duca. You look at it from Trudeau's side, though, too, it doesn't look too bad for Trudeau. He's been accused of Ontario, by, especially Toronto Liberals, are really nervous about this deal that that, uh, that Justin Trudeau made with the NDP, the Confidence and Supply Agreement, and is he going too far left? And this is kind of a nice, if accidental, balancing act to show, right. yeah, here in Ottawa I'm working with New Democrats, but I'm also pretty tight with... Ontario Conservatives. So Trudeau's a while away from an election, but yeah. that may be as much to calm down his own blue liberal flank there, which is especially around yeah. the business community in Toronto, saying, "Is this guy has this guy gone all socialist on us? And, and so, an announcement, like in yesterday, focused on cars, Focus on the the you know the auto sector in in Ontario, working with a conservative. That's not that's not going to do any, uh, Trudeau any harm. Yeah. All right. Finally, Susan, uh, let's just quickly touch on this before we wrap up. But uh, on the weekend, the public safety minister Marco Mendicino said the government is committed to full transparency in the inquiry that's looking into the use of the Emergencies Act that was used to end the Freedom Convoy protests in February. But at the same time, some people would say in contradiction to those remarks, he said he would not commit to sharing confidential cabinet documents. Um, So is that full transparency? I know the prime minister was asked about that yesterday. Other people were talking about it too. uh, And we're we're anticipating the, the start of this inquiry. So what do you think about that? I'm thinking they're going to have no choice but to be as transparent as possible. The world is working that way. Uh, 
the very role of disinformation in the convoy protest would almost demand that governments be even more transparent about what they know. I'm quite surprised that the federal government is playing coy about this when the Prime Minister's own national security advisor has said there were elements that trying to overthrow the government. We've had the United States ambassador sitting with the editorial board of the Toronto Star saying there was some dark stuff going on at this this protest. I think some of that is only going to come out if the government is fully transparent and whether that's cabinet documents or whatever. They have suspended normal rules before to you know for the Prime Minister to testify and staffers to testify at committee hearings into the you know the yeah. SNC Lavalin business. So I am hoping there this plate and coy is just a little game for now and that they're going to be as transparent as they can because the the convoy and all the misinformation and facts around it are an argument for government tr- to be transparent. Hmm. All right, Susan, great to have your insights on all of this today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. The fight they have against Putin's illegal war is a fight for the values and stability that underpin Canada and so many democracies like it. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Hill Times, Michael Harris argues... There is a red light flashing over the whole world, not just over Ukraine. Harris writes, While American generals talk about how badly the war is going for the Russians, Vladimir Putin continues to savage Ukraine with a war that has triggered skyrocketing energy prices and rampant inflation in every Western economy. He has become a one-man global wrecking ball. There is nothing to stop him from using chemical weapons or even tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine, since he knows, at least so far, NATO is afraid to call his bluff with force. Which raises some inescapable questions. If Ukraine's freedom isn't worth fighting for, whose is? If Putin is not stopped in Ukraine, then where? In the National Observer, Andrew Perez asks if endorsements for Pierre Poiliev will make a difference in the conservative leadership race. Perez writes, Since he launched his leadership bid three months ago, Pierre Poiliev has rolled out a daunting number of endorsements when compared to his chief opponents. And it's not merely the sheer volume of endorsements that is striking, it's the geographic, demographic, and gender diversity they represent. While there will be no shortage of intriguing dynamics to watch for in this race, the role of political endorsements on the final result is one that party brass, rank-and-file Tories, and the media must be attuned to. At iPolitics, Patrick Leblanc considers the Global Cross-Border Privacy Rules Forum. He writes, Canada is among the founding members of this forum, yet it hasn't been mentioned by anyone in the federal government, even though it fits with its promise to develop Canada's digital economy and promote international trade. Maybe the federal government's silence is an acknowledgement that it didn't actively participate in the creation of the forum, but simply jumped on the bandwagon for fear of being left behind. Until Canada has a strategy on digital trade, our policies will continue being decided somewhere else, and the interests of Canadian businesses, workers, and consumers come second to those of our partners. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland 
will attend the debate in the House of Commons on the Budget Implementation Act. She will also attend question period. Conservative members of the Special Committee on Afghanistan will question Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie. Canadian Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez will host the National Culture Summit in Ottawa. And the Senate Committee on Fisheries and Oceans will hear from Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray on the federal government's policy framework for managing Canada's fisheries and oceans. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, May 3rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.